morning, church. Oh, come on. Good morning, church. Oh, we just needed the lights up. That's all. Good, good. Good morning. So good to see all of you. Um, my name is Trey, by the way. My wife, Carrie, and I are the pastors of the Exchange Church. And the Exchange Church is a place where purpose is awakened and developed. And uh, we're grateful that you're here. If you're a guest, if you're watching online, we're grateful that you're watching. Uh, I believe that now more than ever, we need to live a life filled with purpose. Um, for those that are doing the 30-day shred, we're going from the front of the Bible to the back of the Bible, like front page to the last page, all in 30 days, 30-ish days. And it's, it's like hours of reading every day and, uh, or listening, however, however you do it. Um, but, you know, we, we've we already done through Ecclesiastes. And so I started making jokes around the house. Of, you know, like my wife asked me to do something I don't want to do or I don't like to do. I just, I label it, oh, that's Ecclesiastes, you know. Um, because Ecclesiastes uh, was written from a perspective that God doesn't exist. Like what would life look like if God didn't exist? It would be utterly meaningless. Um, so she asked me to do something with the fridge, and I was like, well, that's Ecclesiastes. Utterly meaningless, you know. And um, But the, the truth is, I'm really grateful that I don't live an Ecclesiastes life. A meaningless life. I'm glad that I woke up this morning with purpose in my heart, purpose in my mind, with uh, something to do for the kingdom. And I want to encourage all of us to live the same. Because COVID didn't strip your purpose. The economy isn't stripping your purpose. Food shortages, supply chain issues, political crisis, national turmoil isn't stripping your purpose. God still has a purpose for you. You woke up this morning and God still had a purpose for you in this day. Not a purpose for 10 years from now or a year from now when you finally get your act together. He had a purpose for you today. And when he created that purpose, he actually already knew the mess that you're currently dealing with. But there's still purpose in it. So welcome to the exchange, because here at the exchange, God can and does use anyone, including me, including you. We're in a series called Truth Over Trend. I'm going to ask you to stand back to your feet. I don't want you to, you're already so quiet. I need to limit the seating time so you don't fall asleep. By the way, who here is doing the 30-day shred? Just make some noise. Raise your hand. Good. A lot of us. How many of you are on track? On track? Let's give... Oh. Oh. Wow. We're going to call you Team Carrie. All right. Team Carrie. Way to go. So proud of you. How many of you have a, have a life outside of... Oh. Discipline. Team, team carries discipline. All right. Uh, how many of you are behind just a little bit? You'll get there eventually. She'll be coming around the mountain at some point, at some point in 2022. All right, you're Team Trey. All right, good job. I'm just, I want to say thank you for doing this. We've gotten so much positive feedback and just the praise reports from this. I know that if you've been doing it, you've seen it already at work in your life. Um, but I'm going to ask you to go ahead and send in those praise reports because I kind of want to collect them 
and uh, just share them with our team, share them with our whole church. And maybe these praise reports will inspire other people next year when we do this to jump on board. Will you do that? As you come across what God is doing in your life, please send that in. Now we're currently in a series called Truth Over Trend. And we've spent some time discussing the authority and the reliability of Scripture uh, the first two weeks of the series. And we've also spent the last couple of weeks, um, I guess, on our hands and knees mining for gold. You know, we've kind of got down to the nitty gritty of looking at practical strategies for interpreting and studying the Word. If you were here or you watched online, you know the references that I gave out to you. Um, I gave out this page, which is a Bible study, two Bible studies, different strategies that you can use. They're really good. One is called the SOAP. The other is five P's to effective Bible study. You can pick that up today if you want at the information desk. It's absolutely free uh, to you. It costs someone to put that together, just not you. Um, and then and then we gave you uh, this last week. Was this last week? This was last week? Okay, good. Uh, it's Biblical Genres Interpretation Guide. It's 13, 14 pages that I wrote teaching you how to interpret the different genres of Scripture. Has anyone actually put this to use yet? Did anyone actually read it? At least read it? Great, great. Let, that's good, good. A, a handful of you. Do you at least have it accessible? Good, good. Even if it's on your table and you set your coffee on it to, so it doesn't mess up your coffee table, I'm fine with that. Just keep it handy because I'm, I'm confident that when you need it, Holy Spirit will take you to it, okay? Uh, but if you want it, go ahead and pick it up. It's also free to you, um, and it's at the information desk. So those are some resources available. Uh, we've just we've just been, you know, looking through a magnifying glass, a microscope on truth. And on our final Sunday, I kind of want to zoom out, you know, pan, pan out, like pull the plane up and get a bigger picture on truth. Is that okay if we do that today? So I'm not going to do practical strategies of Bible study, but what I am going to do is I'm going to make truth applicable to you and I. And to do that, we got to see the bigger picture today. So the title of my sermon is Truth Over Trend, But Not Over Everything. Truth Over Trend, But Not Over Everything. The text I want to take you to while you're standing to honor the word is John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, I come before you today. I thank you so much for what you're doing in the room. God, I'm just going to interpret the quietness in the room as people are just awed by you in this moment. Uh, but God, I ask that you would stir within us, stir within us a desire to know your word, to allow truth to settle deep into our hearts. Father, I just confront you right now in the name of Jesus. Uh, any traditional mindset that is in the room, that this living Christianity based on tradition and not living out an experience and an encounter with you that is fresh today. God, I just ask that you would shake us up. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church shout, amen. 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 You may be seated. All right. <clears throat> I have a condition. 
And I want to share with you, maybe get some. Oh, yes, thank you. Uh, if you need a handout today, a worship post can bring those to you. We have fill in, nice little fill in the blanks. Oh, rubber bands. If you need a rubber band, please lift your hand. Um, I've got two. I've got yellow and red. Uh, it's, it's part of the sermon. You'll want a rubber band. Um, husbands, please do not shoot your children. Uh, but hold on to the rubber band uh, throughout today's sermon. We might reference it. Uh, I, have, I have a condition, and I'm not sure if it's developed with age or with weight or with, with the addition of muscles. Um, I'm not sure if it has developed because of declining vision or if I experience it just when I'm tired. I don't, I don't know. But, but it's this condition, and I wonder if anyone else in the room can relate to me, and this is what it is. Um, there are times when I kick off my shoes and I'm going to change out of my pants, and I lift up, I bend this knee, and I lift up this ankle to pull the pants off. Do you know what I mean? And this condition, all of the sudden, the earth under that foot spins faster than it was spinning prior, and I lose my balance. <laughs> Anyone ever hopped with your legs stuck in your pants and you fall into I fall into the floor I've fallen on the bed I have fallen on the wall now if I'm really honest with you today the thing I'm most embarrassed about is that I <laughs> I have literally allowed myself to fall into the wall and catch myself with my forehead while I finish because I do not want to let gravity win is anyone as stubborn as me Anybody you like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the condition is, but it's really ridiculous. The control games I play with gravity. And, and that's that's what happens when I only have one leg to stand on. <laughs> I need both legs. I, I got to. I need both. And this balancing act is repeated in nature in various physical ways. You have two eyes to give perspective. You have two arms and two hands to provide dexterity. You have two sides of your brain that work in tandem. All these things come in pairs because there are many things in the physical world that work best when they balance each other and when they have a complement, right? I mean, the silly example of falling when you're trying to take your pants off is just one example of the power of two, the strength of two is better than one, right? Thankfully, there are only a few situations where I have to choose one leg to stand on because it helps to use both, both. And unfortunately, you and I are often conditioned to have a mentality of an either-or mindset, not both-and. Think about it. You often have been taught to choose the highest and best option, right? Which is going to hurt less? Which is going to benefit you more? We're conditioned in society and culture and family and education and maybe even in religion to choose either or. 
someone is with child and you ask them, are you hoping for a boy or a girl? Right? We're just conditioned that that's, that's the option, boy or girl. I've, I've heard people say before, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy with either one. But I've never heard anyone say, both. I'm hoping to pop out a Jack and Jill. I've never heard, now we actually, ironically, have a lady in the house that's pregnant with twins, um, but she's not getting both, right? You're not, wait, where is she? Both boys. So, right, so it's not a both in this scenario, but we're conditioned either or. Some people believe that you can have a strong career or a strong family, but you can't have both, they would say. I don't believe that, but some do. They believe you have to choose between being family-oriented or career-oriented. Why not both? Some people believe that you can be strong or you can be vulnerable, but you can't be both. Some people believe that you can approach others with an open heart, wanting to help and do what you can to see people succeed, or you can have solid boundaries But why can't you do both? We're conditioned to think it has to be one or the other. I like both. In my leadership and my team will always tell you my answer is always both. Both A and B. Why do I have to choose A or B? I I want A and B. Now, yes, there are some divine dichotomies. You know what a dichotomy is? A dichotomy is a mutually exclusive group to where they don't overlap, meaning you have to choose one or the other. You can't do both. But we make some really dumb dichotomies out of things that don't need to be dichotomies. There can be overlap. You actually can be strong and vulnerable. You can be generous and have boundaries. There are even some divine dichotomies in scripture. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's a, that's a dichotomy. You, can't serve, you cannot serve God and serve money as your master. You've got to choose. That one can't be both. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to me or to the Father except through me. Right? There's no one else. No other way to Jesus, to, fa- to the Father, but Jesus, got it. It's, it's Jesus only. It's not Jesus plus Buddha. It's not Jesus plus Muhammad. It's not Jesus plus fame. It's not Jesus plus Oprah. It is Jesus, right? Can I get an amen? There are definitely some dichotomies in Scripture where you have to, you have to make a choice. One, one truth is placed against another truth and it's a it's a pressure situation and you've got to choose you choose ye this day who you will serve do you know what i mean there are some choices that need to be made but but sometimes we put things at opposite or opposing ends that don't need to be we deny one in order to accept the other now if it's a clear dichotomy i think that's that's easy where it's a clear answer right choose life or death Give me life, right? Choose freedom 
or sexual sin? Give me freedom. Choose faith or fear? Joy or despair? Trust or skepticism? Right, so those are pretty clear. We know instinctively, intrinsically what to choose. Now, walking it out may be more difficult. But, but we know the right answer, at least, right? So those are, those are easy, but sometimes it gets a little more difficult when the either or turns into both and. Do I walk in freedom or holiness? Both. Does God accept me the way I am? Or does he want me to change? Both. This is the, the tension of the both, right? Holding two seemingly opposing ideas together and, and keeping, not leaning too much into one or the other, but keeping the tension. So every time we say both, I just want you to just pop yourself a little bit to remind us that there's some tension in both, all right? It's not, both isn't easy. Both is hard. Either or is easy. Both is difficult. Do I say what's really on my mind or do I speak gently? Both. Do I worship God on Saturday or on Sunday? Do I give God my time or my money? Do I honor God or honor people? Should my life be spirit-led or well-planned? Do I value the emotional encounter of the presence of God? Or do I value digging into the word of God soberly and intellectually? Both. We don't have to choose one or the other. We don't have to sacrifice an emotional encounter with God so that we can be soberly involved in the truth and the word of God. He wants us to have both. We have to get better at both, but both, the tension of both hurts. But I like both. She asked my wife. We're at parties. She says, you want cake or ice cream? In scripture, we often find tension in both. On one side, we have faith. On the other, we have works. Our God is a God of mercy, mercy, full of mercy, but our God is a God of justice. Jesus is our friend, but he's also our king. And both is difficult because we want to naturally lean into one or the other. Some of us can easily see Jesus as our friend. But yet there's no reverence in our life. There's no fear of God in our life. There's no conviction or accountability in our life because we've not yet seen Jesus as king. And some of us, oh man, our works are splendid. We just look like the perfect Christian because we've, we've only known a Jesus that was king. We've never known a Jesus that was friend, who hugged you in your mess, who got down in the dirt with you when you were Dirty. He is both friend and he is king. Here's another one. 
On one side, we have truth. On the other side, we have grace. Truth and grace. And part of maturing spiritually is learning to hold the tension that often exists between two seemingly opposite things. Things that seem so different like mercy and justice. Holding, that, holding on to both and keeping the tension on the line, not leaning one way or another. Holding on to truth while holding on to grace and holding that tension and not leaning too much into one or another. Spiritual maturity is learning to hold both. And Jesus did this so well. I want to spend the remaining time exegeting John chapter 1, verse 14. Exegesis, we learned a couple weeks ago, verses eisegesis. Exegesis is where we look at the verse, we kind of tear the verse apart, let the verse speak to us. That's exegesis. Eisegesis is where we bring our own perceptions to the text and we read into the text potentially what it's not saying. But I just want to focus on one verse today. Can you stay with me for one verse? John chapter 1, 14. We read it in the beginning. I want to read it again. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you see the divine dichotomy? He's filled with grace and truth. I've spent the last four weeks pleading with you to, to agree with me that truth needs to be overtrend. Truth needs to be elevated over the cultural trends, the societal trends, the, our own imagination trends. Truth is overtrend, but truth isn't over everything. And we have to learn to hold truth in one hand while holding some other things in the other and keeping that tension. Because, you see, truth is over trend, but it's not over grace. And I get balancing that tension hurts. It's a lot easier just to lean into truth or just to lean into grace. But when you start having to hold on tightly to truth and to grace, it becomes extremely difficult. But Jesus came full of grace and truth. If we hold on to truth without grace, it breeds self-righteousness and legalism. But grace without truth breeds deception and compromise. It, it takes both. We need both truth and grace. And the best expression of love is found in the tension that exists between grace and truth. That's actually what love looks like. If you've been wondering what the definition of love is, love is quite literally the tension that exists between grace and truth. And, and any parent has walked this road before. Loving your child too much that you don't deliver the truth. Knowing how much truth to deliver or how much grace to deliver. It is, kids, listen. It's not easy being a parent. 
It's not. And it's not because you're a rascal. It's because we have the weight of your life on us. We're commissioned by, we have a mandate from God to lead you. So the things that we say to you, that we communicate to you, we may not always say it the right way. We may not even always say the right thing. But balancing truth and grace is nothing new to any parent that's in the room. Kids, you'll learn one day when you're a parent. It's not as easy as you think it is to be a parent. Balancing truth and balancing grace. We're generally pretty bad at this tension, I think. We're, we're not very good at living in this tension. Um, sometimes we don't offer grace to people in our world that need it. And sometimes we don't tell people the truth of their actions, the truth that they really need to hear. Did you know the number one leadership lid? This is true in the church. I don't know about the corporate world, but my guess is it might be the same. But the number one leadership lid in a church organization, um, you know, you might think it's, it's a, a number of things, but surprisingly, the lid is timidity. Being afraid to tell someone the truth. Jesus came in full measure of truth. Yet, you and I daily are pressured to accommodate the ears of the people that are around us. To accommodate the tender hearts around us. And so we often won't speak the truth. But we have to remind ourselves again that the best expression of love is found in the tension of grace and truth. Now, grace is not more important than truth. It, it isn't. And that's one of the problems of cultural Christianity today is we've defined love by the term grace, but that's not what love is. Love is not grace. Love is grace and truth. So we're giving the world a dysfunctional love that we're calling love because we're afraid of delivering the truth. Grace is not more important than the truth. Truth is not over grace, but grace is not over truth. You need both legs. But church folk, listen. Listen, for those that have been around a while, truth is not more important than grace. I need to make sure that you understand that. Truth over trend, but not over grace. A lot, of, a lot of people walk around acting like they're the last defender of truth. Do you know? Here's what the Bible says. This is how God says you should do it. You know, it's like standing on a street corner and, and just shouting at the top of your lungs, just trying to shove the truth down into people. And, and it's like loading your firearm with truth bullets and you're just shooting unsuspecting passersby. Right? And then you put the truth gun in the holster at the end of the day and you feel like you're a mighty warrior for Jesus. But truth without grace is not love. I've said before, truth without grace is, is like surgery without anesthesia. But grace without truth is like a cheerleader without a football team. You need both. 
You may be speaking the words of Jesus, but do you sound like him? We need grace and, and truth. And maybe, maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, well, I'm, I'm good on truth. I really know how to deliver truth. I'm just not so good on grace. Well, maybe we're not so good on grace because we've never actually been saved in the first place. Maybe we came to Jesus through a checklist of a life well lived rather than through the forgiveness of a debt that I could not pay. I'll say that again. Maybe our encounter with Jesus was the result of a checklist, attend church, tithe, say this prayer, get baptized, do this, do that. Don't go to those places. Don't ingest those things. And and we've got the checklist and we think that that's an encounter with God, but it's just a checklist of things that you've done pretty good on. But once you have been saved from a debt that you yourself could not pay, then you understand grace. Have you had a grace encounter or have you had a a truth encounter? My suggestion is we have both. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I want to pull out a couple of, just two more points out of this single verse. The word became flesh made his dwelling among us. So truth is definitely over trend. Have we established that? Okay, truth is over trend, but it's not over grace, right? You need both of those. Here's another one. Uh, truth is over trend, but it's not over becoming flesh. The word became flesh. Now, in this time the Greek philosophers and Jewish teachers would have considered this to be a dichotomy, something that could not overlap the word, the invisible becoming visible. Greek philosophers actually elevated the unseen. They thought it was the divine, right? And they thought that the flesh was, you know, it was rotten, it was good for nothing, it was utterly lost and completely useless. And many Jews so heavily emphasized that you could never become God that they never took into account or considered the fact that God could become man. The word became flesh. And here we see the tension between two other things, the truth that is unseen and then the flesh what is seen. It's great if we have the truth. For those of us that are doing the 30-day shred and are reading the Bible, good on you. I'm so glad that we're ingesting the truth, but what are you doing with it? Is the truth moving from our head to our heart? Is the word becoming flesh in your life? James 1, 22 through 25 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. We jump over to James chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. 
You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made complete. So we can know the truth, we can read the truth, we can hear the truth. But at some point, that truth has to change you. It has to become flesh. Faith without works is dead. Now, hold up, wait a minute. Let me put more truth in it. You aren't saved by works. Can I get a good amen from the Pentecostal section? You aren't saved by works. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Jesus has already paid that price. Works don't make you alive in Christ, but your works will let you know if you really are alive in Christ. The truth changes you. A faith that is alive is a sanctifying faith. A faith that is alive is a purifying faith. A faith that is alive is a faith that won't let you stay the same tomorrow as you are today. Because you are holding on to truth and you're allowing it to become flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The truth is over trend, but get this, it's not over relationship. I said earlier that we lean into one or the other more easily, and that, that's true. Many of us, man, we will just demolish a relationship because we need to make sure that they know the truth. But, but others of us want to preserve relationships so much that they don't even ever find out that we understand and know the truth. We got to hold on to truth and to relationship. God became one of us so that he could be with us forever. He made his dwelling among us. Truth is not over relationship. It's not over connection. It's not over community. You need both. Truth works its best when it is actually in community. Truth doesn't come alive in isolation. This is one of the things that has royally upset me over the last two years about COVID. And I, I get people stay home for legitimate reasons. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about a, a global issue. It's, it's really bigger than your offense. So let's set that aside and I'll set my offense aside, all right? Let's do that and just talk the word. There is a, a global attack on the church of God. Currently, not just in America, globally, only 15 to 25% of people who left two years ago are back. That's a big deal. The enemy knows that if he can get us further than arm length apart, he can begin to distort truth in our life. God isn't really impressed, though, with our depth of knowledge if we aren't reaching wide. If we aren't reaching wide in community to both other believers and non-believers. You can, 
I, I spend many hours a day reading the word of God. I'm not sure if I'm going to get a reward for that or not. I'm rewarded for it now because I, I happen to, I, I'm kind of in love with this thing. <laughs> so that's my own reward. That's my reward, getting to spend so much time. But if I became the smartest man alive with truth and scripture and never reached out beyond myself, I'd miss the point. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love. What is love? Attention of grace and truth. In order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. I, I feel pretty passionate about this because I haven't, I know a number of people who spend a lot of time in the word and they are getting really smart theologically. But the vine is dying. The fruit on the branch is dying because they're not connected. I, I don't even, I can't even measure at this point the fallout that just the exchange church has encountered because people have not done what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, to fail not together. Again, I, I know that there are legitimate reasons not to. I'm not talking to you. But listen, as a pastor, I need to confront some things. It's been two years. It's time to come home. It's time to be faithful. It's time to show up, be, part, be a part of the local church. Church isn't about just receiving from a, a screen. It's not about just watching playback on Wednesday or Thursday when you finally have the time for a sermon. Did, did you know that God intended us to show up in the house of God because you have purpose to do today? Do you remember I started this thing out and I said, you woke up with purpose. And part of that purpose is somebody needs to have a conversation with you today and you're not even gonna know the impact that you have. You may not even know until heaven, the impact that you have, but you bring something to the table that I can't, that Carrie can't, that Sherry can't, Pedro can't, Dana can't, right? You are needed in the house of God and you need to be in the house of God. You really need to be in the house of God. And, and I'll tell you really why I'm, like I'm not upset that you're, you're not, here because I, I want to grow a big church. I don't, I honestly don't care about growing a big church. I want to grow big people. And to grow big people, you're going to have to hear sermons with a little bit of truth with that grace. I'm real good at grace. Carrie's real good at truth. We balance each other well. But I'll tell you why. I'm, can I just be really blunt with you? I don't need more people in this building so that we raise more money. Our giving was significantly up this year with the lowest attendance we've had in 11 years. Because this is God's house. He's going he's gonna to fund it. And, and if in six months from now, the well dries up, it was God's decision to close this thing down, not mine. Like, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm just being obedient to the Lord. So... I don't need you in the house so that you can give. We actually have people watching online, many people that can't come for various reasons. There are people that live in other states. There are people that are sick and can't come. 
and, and they're giving faithfully. They're like a part of this thing just because you don't see their face doesn't mean they're not part of this church family. I'm not referring to those people that are actively engaged in being the body. They're being the body. They're on Facebook right now encouraging one another. Pray. There was revival on Facebook two weeks ago with people praying over each other and getting healing while we were in the room. These, I'm not saying these people aren't part of the church. These people are part of the church. They're engaged. I'm not talking to them. Are you with me? I know you are. Are you with me? I'm talking to you who you've been wondering, should you get back in the house of the Lord? Let me answer that for you. Yes. It's time. If you're around people for work, you can be around people for worship. I used to say, I used to say, if you go to parties and weddings, you can come to the house of the Lord, right? But I started thinking about it and I was like, wait a minute now. If you go to work, you can come to worship. Now, I, yeah, let's just leave it at that. There should be no other place on planet Earth that is safer than the house of the Lord. Now, I'm saying use wisdom. Don't you go licking chairs or licking poles. Don't be stupid. Right? I'm, I'm wise. And if you wear a mask, you want to wear a mask. I don't distance yourself. There's actually room in this place to be six foot apart. For those who haven't been here in a while, there's room in the room for you to be wherever you want to be. But why I'm really so passionate about it is because I see the day approaching. You know that verse that I just read, it said, fail not to assemble yourself as you see the day, capital D, approaching. You know what that day is referring to? It's the end of this age. Matthew 24 tells us the signs to look for at the end of the age, as the end of the age is coming. We're checking all the boxes, church. It, it says that we can expect earthquakes. Check. It says that we can expect wars, rumors of wars, and nation against nation. Check, 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 check. Like, I, I don't know if you're paying attention to the news. I actually don't know if it's in the news because I don't watch the news. Um, but, but if you haven't heard about this, you probably should do some research. Um, there's a little issue right now with Russia and Ukraine. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, China and Taiwan, kind of a big deal. Pakistan, India, big deal. North Korea, South Korea, Iran and Israel. Like never before uh, has there been so much turmoil with nation against nation and wars and rumors of wars. The day is approaching. Famine. Famine is listed as a sign of the last day. I mean, I have been going to Walmart and HEB four times a week to find California pizza, <laughs> Sicilian pizza. This isn't in my notes, but if you find that, please let me know. It is literally my favorite. Please just buy it for me. I'll reimburse you. Because by the time I get there, I guarantee you, the devil will make sure it's gone. You know, I, there's talk of like supply chain and you, and you see different stores, maybe, maybe not locally here, but around the world, there, there are shortages. 
Listen, if you listen to nothing else, listen to this, a famine's on its way. Not because I'm scared of the ships that are sitting outside of California, not because I'm nervous about the nation against nation. I'm telling you a famine's on its way because the Bible has declared that a famine is on its way. It's, it's on its way. The day is approaching. You know what else is going to happen in the last days? Lawlessness is going to increase. I know we ain't seen any of that yet. <laughs> but it doesn't just say that lawlessness will increase. It says because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. And this is why we need to forsake not the assembly so that you and I can stir up love. We have no control over the lawlessness. We have no control over the lawlessness. But you know what we can do? We can encourage each other to love better, to love longer, to love deeper. That's the power of community. It's not about getting in your prayer closet and, and dissecting and digesting the word so that you can be smarter. It's about getting in the house of God with other believers, failing not to assemble because the day is coming. It doesn't take a genius to see we are living in the end times, guys. I think I've talked about this before, and I don't know when Jesus is coming. He could come today. He could come 10 years from now. The point is, the day is approaching, and I find it pretty odd that Scripture predicted when the day was approaching, people would find it difficult to gather. It knew that it would be difficult to gather, so the Scripture gives us a mandate to fail not to gather. He didn't say, make sure to keep tithing. He didn't say, make sure to keep reading. He didn't say, make sure to keep singing. He didn't say, make sure to keep having a neighborhood barbecues and inviting your, your friends and over and go swimming. He said, fail not to gather as a fellowship of believers in the house of the Lord. Truth over trend, but not over community relationship and connection. Please stand. I went over time. Father, I thank you for our time together today. God, I thank you that you're allowing the word to settle, even if I, if, if, God, even in spite of me, your word is settling on fertile soil right now. God, I thank you that there's no spirit of offense among us. There's no spirit of division among us. God, I thank you that together we understand the season that we're living in requires us to stick closer together than ever before. And God, there are some people watching from home right now that, that absolutely cannot be in this building. So I ask that you would just love on them extra right now. God, that they would just sense right now how loved they are by their church family. God, that you will help them to stay engaged. God, that you will let them feel seen, not only by you, but by us today. God, I ask also for those that are watching online and those that are in the room that has allowed this craziness of the end days 
to shake our foundation, to shake our priorities. God, that you would allow us to become rooted and grounded in these final days, in these final hours, in what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for letting me Thank you for letting me give you a hard word today. I love you. All right, this Wednesday, Awaken is 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. It's a time for prayer, Some usually teaching, sometimes teaching, always communion, always good fellowship. So, And hey, there's plenty of room on Wednesdays if you want to come and find a shadow to sit in. You're more than welcome to do that. We'd love to see you 6.30 to 7.30. Also, if you know any youth ages 6 not ages, grades, 6 through 12. Can I just tell you, one of the greatest investments that you will ever make as a parent is requiring your kids to attend youth. I'm just saying, it is true. My parents made me do a bunch of stuff I didn't want to do. And look how messed up I am today. But it, it really is an investment. I just want to encourage you, some parents, I know it's hard, sometimes you catch flack. Uh, from from your kids, uh, get them here 7:30. Wait, is it 7:30? 7:30 on Wednesday, 7:30 tonight, and then of course next Sunday, be in the house 10:30 a.m. We'll see you next week, guys. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you. <laughs>